We've got a picture that uh, we'll see if any of you can identify this person. Anybody know who this is? Anybody at all? Okay, what if I give you the name of Bill Livinggood? Anybody know now? No? Well, Bill Livinggood was elected as the Sergeant at Arms of the U.S. Congress in 1995. And he served in that capacity until the year 2012. And during his tenure, he introduced the President of the United States 20 different times using these eight words. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. Sounds like a pretty easy job, doesn't it? The only problem with this was that when Mr. Livingood accepted the position, he did not realize that introducing the president was one of the responsibilities. And Mr. Livingood had a fear of speaking in public. In a CNN interview, he said, I started practicing immediately. He said, I practiced at home, and I practiced in my car, and I practiced in my office. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States, over and over and over again, until it finally came time for him to say those words. And he was so nervous that he decided he better write it down. Eight words. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. And so he wrote it down on a card. And when he walked in to the Congress, he had the card in front of him. And he said those words. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. Eight words. Now the next time you would have thought that after all that practice and after one experience that he would, have, uh, he would have felt more comfortable, but he didn't feel comfortable. So he took that little card and he thought this time, well, I'll just keep it in my pocket. So he had it right there and his hand was on it the whole time just in case he forgot. And the next time he kept the card in his pocket and every time for all those years between 1995 and 2012... 20 times he introduced the president, and 20 times he had a card with him that had those words on it. Mr. Speaker, the president of the United States. You know, it's largely a symbolic role in our world today, uh, the, the role of a herald, someone who announces the coming of a king or the coming of a dignitary. Uh, but there was a time when it was really an important profession During the English Empire, whenever the king or the parliament would make a new edict, there was somebody who was the king's herald. And the king's herald would go out and proclaim the declaration that the king had made. And then there were scores of heralds that would then take the message further into the kingdom and further into the kingdom until finally the entire empire would have heard whatever the message was that the king was proclaiming. It wasn't just true Uh, during the British Empire was also true all the way back into the Roman Empire. When Rome would conquer a city, they would send an individual into the conquered city to proclaim the good news that Rome has come to liberate you. As if the people wouldn't know that based on all the carnage that was probably in their streets as the announcement came. That there was good news that Caesar is Lord. And they called these individuals who went to these cities evangelists. And they called the message that they shared the gospel, the good news. And so along came a group of Christians who had better news. They actually had really good news. 
That wasn't just that some temporary king sitting on some throne had come to liberate them, but that the God of the universe had stepped out of time and space into creation and had sent his son. And so the Christians began to declare, Jesus is Lord. And so there was a little bit of tension between Rome and the early Christians because this message wasn't very popular. The is Lord was fine, but they kept getting the first name wrong. If they would have just said Caesar Augustus is Lord or Caesar Domitian is Lord. But they continued to insist generation after generation. No, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And they called these messengers evangelists because they were taking the good news. And there have been many of them. Heralds, messengers, congressional sergeants at arms. And we very rarely know their names or would recognize their faces because the significance of the message isn't determined by the messenger, but it's determined by the content of the message. What we remember is the message that they deliver. And in our Bible, we have the story of one such messenger, a herald, an evangelist, And his story is found at the beginning of all four Gospels, which gives us a clue that his story is really important, that that he plays a significant and an important role in the story of Jesus. And the Gospel writer John, like the other three Gospels, includes the story at the very beginning, that this is a messenger who came to deliver a message. And it was a radical message. It was a controversial message. It was a message that the religious elite were not ready to hear. And it was a message that the political leaders were not ready to hear. And the significance isn't found in the messenger, but it's found in the content of the message. And so John introduces the character this way in John chapter 1 verse 6. There was a man sent from God. Right off the bat, we know he's important. Because he's not just any messenger, he's a messenger from God. He's a man sent from God whose name was John. Now this can be a little confusing, especially if you're not one who has read the Bible often. There are lots of people who have the same name in the Bible. And so this man's name is John, but so is the man's name who's writing this account for us, the Gospel of John. But they're not the same person. John, the Gospel writer, is not talking about himself. He's talking about someone different. And actually, John, the gospel writer, the person whose diary or journal, if you will, that we're reading, was a student of this John. He, he was one who followed this John around. John had been his teacher. So John, who is writing this for us, knows a lot about him. He's an authority on this figure. He spent a lot of time with him, hearing him teaching. So there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a, what's that next word? Witness. He came as a witness to bear, what's that next word? Witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear, what's that word? Witness about the light. Now, what's interesting about this is you know this character by a nickname. John the Baptist, exactly. John the Baptist. Now, that does not mean that he was a Baptist, There was not Andrew the Anglican and Peter the Presbyterian. It just simply means that he was known because of this ritual that he did. He he would go down into the Jordan River Valley. People would flock to him and he would baptize them. The word means to immerse. It means to put under the water. And it was a symbol of being cleaned, cleansed from your sins. 
that he was telling people, be ready. You should prepare your hearts because God is going to show up and we need to be ready for that. We need to be spiritually cleansed. And so he would baptize. So he had this name, John the Baptizer. But his disciple, John, the gospel writer, never calls him that. Not one time. John, the gospel writer, calls him something different. He refers to him as John the Witness. He uses the word witness in reference to John 14 times. Telling us that it was pretty important what was going on here. That John's primary role was a witness, a messenger. And the reason we remember him is because of the significance of the content of the message that he delivered. Jesus thought John was a pretty important figure as well. In Luke chapter 7 verse 28, Jesus says this, I tell you, among those born of women, now, I think that includes everybody, right? Everybody covered, everybody here was born of a woman. Of those born of women, which means everybody, none is greater than John. That's quite an endorsement. That nobody was greater than John. A little background on John. You can read the story uh, of his birth in Luke chapter 1. The story of John's birth is actually mixed into the story of Jesus' birth. They were cousins. Uh, Their mothers, uh, Elizabeth and Mary, were cousins. And so John and Jesus were also cousins. Uh, John was born to his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, late in life. Well past the time when anyone thought that Elizabeth could bear a child. John was in the priesthood. And it was his turn, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, to go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, to offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people. And while he was there, God showed up. Imagine that. Going to church, and God shows up and speaks to him. And God spoke to Zechariah and said, Hey, I want you to know something, Zach. Elizabeth's going to have a baby. And Zach said, Have you seen my wife? And God said, Listen, For that wise crack, you're not going to be able to talk again until the baby's born. And sure enough, he was mute until the baby was born, other than to communicate by writing that the baby's name was to be John. And so John and Jesus were cousins. Uh, There had been uh, approximately 30 years had passed when we pick up this story. And, And John filled an important role. He filled a prophetic role. In the Old Testament, 400 years before the birth of either of these two people, there was a man whose name was Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet. And this prophet, uh, this prophet Isaiah, was, um, was proclaiming that Jesus was going to come, that there was going to be one who was come who was going to be a Messiah, a Savior of the people. But before, before the Messiah would come, there would be another person who would come in advance of him. And John says this about himself in John chapter 1, verse 23. He says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now, there's something about a straight path. How, how many of you have ever driven between Jacksonville and Pensacola on I-10? Anybody ever taken that trip? It's a long straight road and you can see for miles and miles and miles and all you see is what 
pine trees. That's all you see the whole way. But it's a long, straight road. You can see, if, if your vantage point is high, if you're on a hill, you can see down that road for a, a long, long way. It, compare that to if you've ever driven in the mountains in North Carolina or Tennessee or Georgia. If you've ever driven on those mountain roads, sometimes you can only see 10 or 20 feet in front of you because there's a curve in the road. And you can't see what's coming around the curve. So what the prophet Isaiah was saying and what John is saying about himself is that there would be somebody who would come who would clear out all the distractions, who would make straight the path so that you could see the Messiah who was coming. That's the role that John was filling, to make straight the path, to clear the way. And John was the messenger. And he was a curious messenger. The Bible tells us that he was dressed in camel skin and he ate locusts and honey. And he didn't go into the cities to proclaim his message. He stayed out in the desert region, in the Jordan River Valley. But his message became so popular that people were flocking to him in the Jordan River Valley and they came to hear this message. But isn't it interesting that of all the ways that God could have prepared people for the coming of the Messiah, he chose John. This kind of weldy, camel-wearing, locust-eating, desert-living man to proclaim the message of Jesus. It's not how I would have done it. I mean, first of all, I probably would have waited until technology got to a point that Jesus could have been proclaimed on the 24-hour news cycle. Or, or maybe through social media so that everybody knew at once. That there would have been some way to do it. But God didn't even need that because he certainly had the capacity to part the heavens and write in the stars. Hey folks, I want you to pay attention because Jesus is coming and he's the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world and God didn't do that. And this seems to be God's pattern throughout the scripture. From the Old Testament all the way through, God seems to delight in using human messengers. Think about the people that he used. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Esther, time and time and time again. He picks the most unlikely character and he says, I'm going to use you to proclaim my message. I want you to be the one to share the message. God's methods have not changed. God chooses to make his light known through human messengers still today. God chooses Send a message to the world through human messengers. And as far as I know, everybody in this room is human, right? Which means God may choose you. I think there are two implications to this simple truth that God chooses human messengers. One is this, that we should be prepared for God to send us as his messenger. Be prepared for God to send you as his messenger, and secondly, to be ready to hear God's message through the human messengers that he may send to you. It works both ways. God uses human messengers. So let's talk about the first implication, that we should be prepared for God to send us as his messenger. What if one day in somebody's spiritual journal, they were able to write the words, there was a man There was a man named Bob who was sent from God. There was a woman named Betty who was sent from God. There was a man named Jay who was sent from God. There was a woman named Luann who was sent from God. 
There was a man who was named Ron who was sent from God. There was a man whose name was Rumhala who was sent from God. What if in somebody's spiritual journal, you're the messenger that God would use to send to speak hope and life into their life? The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that we're to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks about the hope that we have. To be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks about the hope that we have. Now there's an implication, there, there's, there's something about that that we need to know. It, it means, it implies that we have hope. That people see something in us that stands apart from the rest of the world. They see something unique in us, in a world where hopelessness so often describes the human experience, in a world where injustice so often describes the human experience, in a world where hate and prejudice and pride so often describe the human experience, people are looking for those who are messengers of hope. And when they see it, it stands out above the crowd. And they may ask you to explain What's this hope that you have? And the Bible says you should be ready to tell them. You should make straight the way for the Lord. That your life should be a straight path. That people can look down through your life and at the end of it see the reason for the hope. And the reason for the hope is Jesus Christ. That he's the hope that we have. The message that we deliver is not our own message. It's a message that we've been given. It's a message that we experience. John had an experience with God, and it was his experience with God that revealed to him the truth of who Jesus was. Think about this for just a minute. You're out baptizing people. You've had a word from the Lord that you should go out and you should baptize people to get ready for the Messiah to come, that the Messiah has not come yet. And you're out doing what God said, and God's given you this. He said, listen, You're going to baptize people, and at some point, you're going to baptize somebody, and you're going to just see, you're going to sense the Spirit of God. My Spirit's going to descend upon them, and when that happens, you're going to know that that's the Messiah that the world's been waiting for. And then one of your cousins shows up, and you baptize your cousin, and you see the Spirit of God descend on your cousin, and you realize, I've known him all along. But I didn't know him all along. God revealed the truth. Listen to what John says in verse 31. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. What's he doing? He's telling his story. He's telling his encounter with God. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. John's talking about when he baptized Jesus. And I myself did not know him. That's the second time he said that, isn't it? Second time. I didn't know who he was until I was baptizing him. And then God revealed it. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man whom you see the Spirit come down on and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And here's what John says. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. I have seen and I testify. He's not sharing with others somebody else's story. He's not sharing what somebody else 
experience with Jesus, he's not even quoting the Bible. They didn't even have the Bible the way we have it today. He was simply talking about his experience with Jesus. What has Jesus done in your life? Where have those difficult times come into your life and you felt God present with you in those times? Or maybe in the middle of the circumstance, you didn't feel God present with you, but it's only as you look back on the story of your life, you see the way the grace of Jesus touched you and changed you. That's your story. That's what you've seen. That's what you can testify about, that we should be prepared for God to send us as his messengers. And we don't have to come up with the story on our own. It's about our experience with God. It's about our encounter with Jesus. I love this, uh, this account of John's life. Because the Pharisees who come to question John, the same Pharisees who would then question Jesus throughout the rest of the gospel, came asking John to give an explanation about what he was doing. And John always deflected the conversation away from himself and back on to Jesus. This isn't about me. I'm just the messenger. I'm not what's important here. What's important here is the message. And the message is this, that God has sent his son into the world to be the savior of the world. Listen to the way John describes Jesus in this passage. In verse 23, John says that he is Lord. Now that just sounds like church talk to us. I mean, we say that Jesus is Lord. We sing that. We're very comfortable saying that. But in John's time, this was treason. It was treason to say anybody but Caesar was Lord. And and John was proclaiming that this Jesus who was coming is Lord, not Caesar. Not Caesar Augustus. Not Caesar Domitian. Jesus is Lord. He goes on and says in verse 29 that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Again, that sounds like something that we all know about Jesus. We know that, but nobody else knew that when John said it. It would take the disciples three years of following Jesus. And even at the end of three years, it was only after they saw him crucified and resurrected that the light bulb went off. Oh, he's the Lamb of God, which means that he would be crucified. He would die for my sins, for the sins of the world. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hey, Didn't John, didn't that guy who wore camel skin and ate locust and water, didn't he say this? Wasn't he saying this from the very beginning? Yes, he was. He's the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. And then he says in verse 34 what might have been the most provocative thing to the Jewish leaders who were listening to him speak. He said, he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Here's the message. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world. Nine words. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world. And John proclaimed it before Jesus performed a miracle, before anybody heard him teach. He understood it because God revealed it to him. And then he was faithful to be the messenger to proclaim the message. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Those nine words have been the Christian message from the beginning of the church. Jesus Christ, Son of God, 
Savior of the world. Early Christians, when the Roman Empire was beginning to gather up Christians and persecute them, when they were imprisoning them and torturing them, Christians began to take the first letter of each of those words in Greek and they put them together. And Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world, those letters in Greek, the first letters of those spell the Greek word ichthus, which in Greek means, or which in English means fish. So if you've ever wondered why why Christians use the fish as a symbol, it's because the early Christians would put that symbol on their door frames so that other Christians would be able to identify and know, here is a believer, here's somebody who proclaims the message that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. I've often wondered if they had chariots, if they put the magnet on the back of their chariot as they drove around. I don't know. 2,000 years later, and the message is the same. It's just as simple today as it was then. Nine words. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Will you just say that with me? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We need to be prepared, church, because God calls us to be his messengers, to share the good news that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But the second implication is just as important. First implication that we need to be ready for God to send us as his messengers. And the second one is that you should be ready to hear God's message through human messengers he sends your way. Because if God can send you as a messenger to me, then surely God can send another human to be a messenger to you. See, when God wants to communicate with us, he doesn't put a post on Facebook. He doesn't send out a tweet or a text message. I know we've all prayed for that. God, just make it clear. But God does something much better than any of that. He speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through prayer. But one of the significant ways that God speaks to us is through other believers. That the Spirit of God can speak through another believer to you. Some of you may have had this experience. And my guess is that the person who spoke to you had no idea that what they said had such a profound impact on your life. There were messengers that God has sent into your life who speak truth. And the message doesn't come from the messenger. The messenger comes from the Holy Spirit through the messenger. And the significance of the messenger is found in the content of the message Now, you have to be careful because sometimes we struggle to know, is this person speaking to me as a messenger? A couple suggestions for you just to consider as you're trying to determine, is this person speaking to me as a messenger from the Lord? First of all, if they tell you that they have a message from the Lord for you, there's a good chance they're not a messenger from the Lord. That's just based on personal experience. Always beware of someone who says, the Lord told me to tell you. Most of the time, people who speak from the Spirit of the Lord, are so humble about it, they would never presume to know that they're speaking on behalf of the Lord. And even in the midst of the circumstance, they didn't realize that's what happened. God just used their conversation with you in such a profound way that it made a difference. But you should also always know this. Anything that they say has to stand up against the test of Scripture. Does what the person say align with what God's Word says? If it does then it fact may be, in fact may be a message from the Lord. But if it doesn't, it certainly is not a message from the Lord. Another way that you may be able to tell if someone's God sending you a human messenger 
is to ask yourself this question. Does this person love God and love God's word more than they love me? Do they love God and love God's word more than they love themselves? You see, that's an important question for us to ask because we're instinctively drawn toward people who tell us what we want to hear, aren't we? I mean, if we're struggling in a particular area of our life, we will find somebody who, who will validate us. You know, if, if we're having trouble in our marriage, we want to go to somebody who's going to listen and say, oh, you're right, that no good so-and-so. If you're having trouble with your kids, you want somebody to tell you, oh, you've been a great parent. And maybe you have been. We want somebody who loves us enough to tell us the truth, even when, it's hurt, even when it hurts. Of course, we want them to be somebody who's full of grace and truth, right? Not just grace, and not just truth, but grace and truth. But they love you enough to tell you the truth. And another way that, that I've come to learn through experience is this person speaking, is the message they're giving from the Lord, is that the message sticks. Long after the person forgets that they've said it, I can't forget that they've said it. It just keeps tumbling around in my mind over and over again. And I begin to think, okay, God, is that you speaking? Is that you speaking through a human messenger? Some of you are here today because God sent a messenger to you at some point in your life. It may, the person may have played a, a small, maybe even insignificant role in your life. It could have been a teacher, a coach. It, it could have been a Sunday school teacher. But they were a messenger. And somehow God used them. And they were willing to be used to speak God's truth to you. And it made all the difference. And if you listen to their message, their message was the same as John's message because it hasn't changed And that's this, that sin has broken our relationship with God, that we're all broken people, and because of our brokenness, we've been separated from God. But the good news is that God has sent Jesus, the Lamb of God, to take away not just the sins of the whole world, but to take away my sins so that I might be drawn back to God The message is this simple, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world. And my guess is that most of you here today know that message. Most of you here today have heard that message. Most of you here today believe that message. So my question is, are you sharing that message? Are you willing to be the human messenger that God will use to make a difference in the lives of people that God has placed in your life strategically and purposefully? And I know the excuses because I've got the same excuses. You feel inadequate. And guess what? You are. You are inadequate. And so was every messenger that God ever used. Abraham was an old man And God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham laughed. And even after that, Abraham disobeyed God on a number of occasions. And God still used Abraham to say, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the people of the world. Moses? Moses was a murderer who was an exile living out in the desert. And God said, Moses, I'm going to use you to go back and tell the most powerful leader in the world to let my people go. It's going to cause his economy to crash. It's going to create all kinds of problems. He's not going to want to hear the message. But Moses, you're the messenger. And Moses said, but Lord, I'm slow of tongue. 
And God said, you're perfect. You're perfect. Esther. Esther was a foreigner living in a hostile nation who was basically brought in to be a king's concubine. She was a woman in a man's world. She wasn't even permitted to speak without threat of the possibility that her life could be taken from her. And she was a messenger that God used. God uses inadequate messengers. Because he wants the world to know that he is enough. Because this isn't about the importance or significance of the messenger, but it's about the significance of the content of the message. You say, well, I feel unprepared. I haven't memorized enough. I don't know enough. But look at what John did. John just told his story. That's all that we're invited to do. Just tell your story. Give an explanation for the hope that you have. You feel unprepared, but but the question is, when will you ever feel prepared? And how many people will you pass by on your way to feeling prepared? Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world. It's a message that God has not only given us, but it's a message that many of us have experienced personally. And he's called us. To be his messengers. And he's put messengers in our life to share messages with us from him. I want to encourage you over the course of the next few weeks and months to begin to pray that God would open your eyes to see the people that he's placed in your life all around you. Family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors. People that God has strategically placed there. And I just want you to pray a simple but very dangerous prayer. Lord, am I to be your messenger to them? Lord, am I to be your messenger to that coworker, to that neighbor? Inside your bulletin this morning, you've got a card that looks like this. It's from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Another messenger that God has used mightily throughout the course of Uh, recent history. And and in this, there's a place for you just to begin to write down the names of people, people that God has placed in your path. When you pray that prayer, God, did you put me in this person's path to be a messenger? Just write their name down and keep that and begin to pray for it. And at the bottom, I want you to tear this section out. We're all going to do that together. Just tear this bottom section out. And in just a few minutes, we're going to have a time of Commitment and a time of invitation. And if you're willing, if you're willing to say yes to the invitation to be God's messenger, I just want you to fill that out. Uh, If we've got your information on record, you don't have to fill the whole thing out, but just fill that out for us. And then you'll have an opportunity to bring it up here to the steps during our invitation, or you can hand it to somebody as you leave. But just in a tangible way, a marker to say, I'm committed. I'm committed to being a part of this. Next Sunday, right here at Southside Baptist Church, we're encouraging all of us to, to do two important things. To, uh, to be intentional about investing in the lives of the people that God has placed in our path. I hope you're already doing that. I hope you've already been doing that. Something we've challenged for many, many years that, that you begin to just invest in people and listen to their stories and build good relationships. And the second part of that is just quite simple, that you invite them. You invite them to come with you to a Bible study. You invite them to come with you to a small group that you're participating in. You invite them to come to a worship service. 
Just invest in them and then invite them to come. Because you never know what God may do through a simple invitation that you may deliver. Next Sunday here at Southside Baptist Church, we're going to have a number of worship services all day. Two services in the morning, 9.30 and 11. Uh, And then in the afternoon, we've got a service where more than 200 refugees from Burma gather to worship here each and every week. And then next Sunday night, a brand new church is launching, uh, City Church. And we're excited to be partnering with them. And our goal for next Sunday is to have a thousand people worshiping on the corner of Hendricks and Atlantic. That we might be a light shining bright from this corner. That the world will see the light that has come into the world. This is God's invitation for us. Will you be his messenger? Will I be his messenger? Will we, his church, fulfill our purpose in being God's messenger? Will you pray with me? Father, we come to this time and we thank you. We thank you that you've invited us on such an important task. And you've given us models and examples in the Bible of those who answered the call. And Lord, I'm just grateful that you recorded for us their imperfections and their shortcomings. Because in a lot of ways they remind us a lot of ourselves. That we feel inadequate, we feel unprepared. And yet the message is so simple. Lord, I pray that we would share it. Not based on rote memory, but based on personal experience with Jesus. That like John, we would just say we've seen and we can testify that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the hope of the world. Lord, our world is full of hopelessness and brokenness, darkness, and you've sent light into the darkness. May we carry that light forward from this place. And Father, during this time of commitment, I would just pray that we would turn our attention to you and to that invitation and that we might be willing to say, I will be a witness. So that sometime at somebody's journal, they might write, there was a man named who was a messenger from God. Lord, may we be willing to take up that role. For those who are here today, who themselves or hearing this message for the first time, Lord, may, may they respond and know that the invitation is for them to believe and receive the simple truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Lord, we invite you to move in this time of invitation. We invite you, Father, to speak to our hearts. And we invite you, Father, to by faith call us to respond. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.